0: The idea of self-publishing is a very intriguing one, but wouldn't you like to actually hear from an author who's done it themselves, both the pros and the cons of it, so that you really get an idea of what it's like? Well, today I have my friend Emily Conrad with us so that she can share her experience of self-publishing. How many novels is it now? I've self-published four novels and one novella. Four novels and one novella. So this woman knows what she's talking about. She has experienced some successes, some challenges, and she is willing to share it all with us today. Well, welcome, Emily. I really appreciate you being here with us to share with us all your knowledge.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you, Rachel. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a learning process for me, too. So but yeah, I've I've published a couple and I'm happy to share what I've learned so far and and where I hope to go in the future. So
0: great. I have. I've got so many questions for you. We're going to get that into that in a minute. But I just wanted to give people a little bit of a more idea of who you are. And so I'm going to read your bio real quick here. But I don't want to miss anything. So um, Emily writes contemporary Christian romance that explores life relevant life's relevant questions. Though she likes to think some of her characters are pretty great, the ultimate hero of her stories, including the one she's living, is Jesus. She lives in Wisconsin with her husband and their energet- energetic energetic coonhound rescue she's the author of the standalone novel justice and the rhythms of redemption romance series as well as a series of short stories which she emails in the installments to subscribers you can learn more about her and her books at emilyconradauthor.com and at the end i'll definitely make sure to ask you where people can connect with you and buy your books so, Sure, that's good awesome well thank you again for being here with us um i just i would love for you to start with how you even got to this point where you have so many novels and a novella for, um, in print where somebody could pick it up and read it. Like, how did you even get here? What started this writing journey for you?
1: Sure. Um, well, it started when I was just a kid. I loved writing stories. Um, and that that love really started in middle school and took off from there. And and I was consistently writing short stories and the stories through high school got longer and longer and longer. (laughs) Um, So that by college age, they were, they were turning out to be novel length. Um, I was having trouble finishing a novel, um, but I eventually did. And um, sometime around there, I became aware of ACFW, which is American Christian fiction writers and entered their contest and started getting more feedback at the time I was writing YA because I had started writing as a young adult myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so it just kind of made sense to me. Um, and I wanted to write stories that provided hope, um, in the YA market, because a lot of what I was reading, I, I wasn't very aware of Christian fiction at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I wanted some kind of, um, to offer a different kind of hope than what I was Mm -hmm. seeing in the stories that were out there. Um, thanks to feedback from ACFW. And then I got a professional critique. And after that, um, my querying of agents went much better. (laughs) And um, in 2010, I signed with my first agent um, for a YA manuscript um, that made it to a pub board. So that's, you know, where they're making decisions. Are we going to publish this? Are we not? So it's kind of the last step there, but it didn't get picked up. Mm. Um, so it was time to move on to a different project. How did
0: you make that decision to move on? Well, it had been rejected,
1: (laughs) you know, like we, we were kind of through our options for that. Okay. Um, So the, my agent had a few publishers that she was trying to sell it to and, um, she was a, a good agent, well-established. And generally speaking, they'll sell to the larger, um, like the big five publishers. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we had kind of, she was feeling that there wasn't a lot of space for YA manuscripts. We didn't have a lot of options for people that we could propose right. to. Um, so we had been through those and what she felt were the good options for the book. And she, because of how small Christian YA was, how it needs And it still is. And it still is. And yeah. I, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from that because I still believe- very strongly, you know, that <laughs> teenagers need hope. Oh, they do more than sure. the rest of us. Right. Or at mm-hmm. least as much as the rest of us, they need hope. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm a strong believer in, in fiction that provides that. So, um, but for me, what my agent was recommending was that I start writing for adults. Okay. Um, so at that point there was a little bit of an adjustment period, like getting my feet under me, trying to figure out, um, what I was going to write
0: next. Were and- you welcoming to that? Or were you like, uh-uh, I like young, you know, I, I like young adult fiction. Like I don't want to do like, was yeah. the resistance in your soul? A all?
1: little bit. I was intrigued by it. I like the idea that there was more opportunity. Mm. Um, I felt unqualified. I was okay. a pretty young adult myself at that point. And now I'm thinking like, well, this was 2010. So how old was I? <laughs> um, I was, I was probably around the age that my characters would be then. I don't, Mm -hmm. it just, it was a mindset change. Um, right now I'm dealing with something similar in that. I am, um, trying to write characters in a different age group. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so they're early fifties and I'm like, I just need to make sure that I have their thought processes. Right. Because I don't want to misrepresent this. Mm -hmm. Um, so switching to writing, there was an intimidation factor for sure. Um, and my agent and I had a hard time landing on what my next idea should be. Ideas have always been the hard part for me. Mm.
0: Um,
1: ultimately, um we we ended up parting ways. And I think that was in part, I was a young writer and I didn't have a lot of experience. And I was having trouble coming up with a, another good idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. and so um I think I needed some time to regroup and um so that's, that's what I ended up doing.
0: I can imagine like you pour your heart and soul into this one story idea and you like want it to succeed so badly. And then to have to one grieve the fact that it's not going to succeed and then have to change gears into something you don't feel qualified to write. Like there's gotta be some, a little bit of adjustment period that you're going to go through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah I just it it was early on and like I said, ideas are the hard part for me. so like coming up with these new ideas and they just weren't and I think even as a person, I think I just you know I had more to learn and more to grow which is <laughs> unfortunate and nobody likes to hear that and I would no. have been probably offended to hear that back then <laughs> you know um and i I have more to learn and grow now too, which you know that's i'm I can be a perfectionist and that's hard, but we have to Um, you know, do you, we can let that get in the way of the progress Mm -hmm. then, you know, and getting the feedback that we need and, um, adjusting to the new ideas of like, well, it could like this way, you can do it this way, but what if you did it this way? And and maybe, um, and maybe that's where success will be for you. Like, maybe that's Mm -hmm. the direction. Um, so trying to learn to be flexible and go with it. Um, so I, at that point I, I wrote justice. Um, I was my agent, I would say one last gift she gave me, um, was as we were trying to come up with ideas that I could write about, she suggested like, what about a modern day fairy tale retelling? Like something where like, yeah. because coming up with a new idea it was hard for me. Right. Like what about taking an old idea and making it new? Like mm-hmm. would that Yeah, that makes help? sense. So around that same time I heard Liz Curtis Higgs speak
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um she has these stories where she kind of did that. Um I She's the one read, with
0: the, about the women of the Bible, right? Like the bad women of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so she has a book called Unve- Unveiling Mary Magdalene. Okay. And so in it it's like half nonfiction and half fiction. Mm -hmm. So she's got like the study on Mary Magdalene and what we know from her from scripture. And then she had this modern day story of a woman, um, and a pastor and the way they were interacting. And it was, it was taking some of that inspiration from the biblical account and setting it in the modern day. And I really, really loved that idea. And so that is what I ended up doing with justice, um, which, ended up being my debut novel. Um, so after I had that written, I did find another agent. Um, we sold the book to a small press um, and, and that came out in 2018. Um, so I, we, I signed the contract
0: in 2016. So it took and the two years to get it out. It took a long yeah. time.
1: Um, yeah. And a lot of that time. was I
0: was, I was going to say, did you, did you, but you probably had the novel already completed, right? Because typically they ask you, so yeah. what did you do for those two years?
1: That's, that's what happened next. I started <laughs> writing about rock stars. Um, <laughs> I was feeling a little bit disillusioned. So um, like I said, 2010, I believe is when I signed with my first agent. Um, so we're already years in the future. Yeah, you're like eight years down the road. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so that. I signed that contract in 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some unknowns at that point. I didn't realize the book wouldn't come out until 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, I found out my launch date was March of 2018, but I didn't find that out until maybe October of 2017. Whoa. So that whole time, and I mean, that's some... Yeah, communication issues in there, you know, like (laughs) that's, that's a little bit of the experience that I had, um, with the small press. But during that time I was writing other stories and I was feeling a little disillusioned and a little discouraged. Um, and let's see, I'm trying to think of how this all happened because I did write a couple other contemporary manuscripts between justice and, um, the rockstar books, which are the ones that I've self-published, when you Um, got
0: that, when you got that contract, did you feel like the ideas were starting to come? Like, did it like open up the floodgates that like, almost like validation, like, oh, somebody or did it just like, it just was that you needed to write. Well,
1: I'm trying to think of the timeline here. Um, before I even sold justice, I think I had at least one, maybe two other manuscripts written. Okay. Um, And I have since decided that those manuscripts were pretty much just for me. Yeah, Um,
0: and I have a couple of those too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just working through some questions I had. Like my my bio says I like to work through life's relevant questions, but I think um, writing for entertainment and writing to work through some of your questions and sometimes that overlaps. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you end up with a book that you're like, you know what? This one was for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, or with one of them, it was like, it, it's a good story, but I can see some things that would be problematic if I tried to publish it or that, mm-hmm. you know, it just aren't falling into place. And I'm not sure that I can go through and fix those. Right. Um, so I've got a couple of those in there cause I finished writing justice in 2014. Okay. Um, and then sold it in 2016 and I was writing about a book a year. Mm-hmm. So I had those, I had two other books in the middle there. And, um, after we sold justice, I was talking with my agent about trying to go on to selling the next book or how we were going to go about that. Um, but while I was waiting to see how things played out with the small press, um, feeling a little disillusioned, I started working on some books that, um, brought me joy and made Mm -hmm. me happy. And I got this goofy smile and I felt self-conscious because I wanted to write serious fiction, you know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know I had that feeling in college because i I studied creative writing, and I just remember being in class with these like really like you're saying like serious writers, really literary type mm-hmm. um creative writers. And I'm over here with my like more you know pop <laughs> culture yeah. selves,
1: and I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm like a fraud. <laughs> yeah, not a fraud at all. different no. audience no um, yeah. and so yeah, I felt some of that too. I studied creative writing and in- in college in that, that was my minor. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like I was totally immersed in a master's program or anything like that, but yeah. I did do some short story classes and poetry classes and things like that. So I, right. I get it. And maybe that's where part of that comes from, you know, Probably. See, like what type of work the people around you are praising, you know? Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah. So And what I, kind of works are being studied yeah. too in the classes, yeah. right? Like you're not pulling Harry Potter off the shelves and yeah. And Reading it for even though there's a lot to learn from, you know, yeah, you can learn about storytelling in Harry Potter. Yeah, obviously. Absolutely. If I mean, if she didn't know how to tell a story, it wouldn't have done as well as it did, exactly.
1: Yeah, um, there's something to be said for the stories that that many people pick up and that mm-hmm. many people talk about and are excited exactly. about, even for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's something to be said for that. And a lot of the classics today were the popular books of their day, too,
0: exactly. So, yeah.
1: Okay. yeah, um, so I kind of fell in love with these. and with um, these rock stars, with the rock stars, um, I was still and the women the that they love <laughs> i was I was still doing the same thing in that um I was taking biblical accounts and kind mm-hmm. of being like, what might a modern day parallel be like? So you asked if that, like if after the first one the floodgates kind of opened. and I don't know that they did, but it did give me a little bit of a scaffolding to like start building things okay. on. Um, so I had David and Bathsheba in mind when I wrote the first one.
0: Well, I would think too, like if you are under a contract with one, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be able to get another contract. Like this is the trajectory I'm on. And so I need to have something ready for when they come to, with, you know, to me.
1: Yeah. I decided that I didn't want to continue working with the small press. Mm-hmm. So for me, it wasn't so much that as it was like, what's next for my career?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: But yeah, I have, I have a lot of friends who are, um, who have multiple book contracts or who Mm -hmm. are trying to get more contracts with a traditional publisher and they do very much have to be ready to like when the one book comes out, it's time to be proposing the next book and Mm -hmm. having something new to offer. And, um, trying to make sure it's written well enough in advance that you don't have to like scramble to meet a deadline. Right, Um, right. So that is definitely part of the traditional publishing mindset that you
0: have to keep in mind, yeah. So you had your, you, you at this point, when the book's coming out, you had it in your head that you probably weren't going to work with a small press. And, but you had these stories that were starting to play in your mind. Mm -hmm. What were your next steps? Like how did, where did you move from there?
1: Well, I- I kind of struck out on my own again. <laughs> um, so what I tried to do was just the same, um, because by this point it was 2018 or so, maybe two, yeah, probably 2018 or 2019, um, and I was I was ready to pursue the the rock star books, the Rhythms of Redemption romances. Um, and I kind of went back to the drawing board. I had been pursuing traditional publishing this whole time, and that was still my preference. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went back to the
0: drawing board with, um, pitching the agents. Okay. So you had an agent, so you decided to not work with that one. Yeah. Um, and I mean, (laughs) I know it's a, a is it, you don't want to say anything bad, but like they're at the end of the day, it's a working relationship and sometimes they gel and sometimes they don't. Right. Yep. Yep. And you have to just make that professional decision. This isn't the right person for me to work with to further my career. Yep. And so you just have to make that decision. And it's nothing really personal per se. It's just a business decision that you're making.
1: Very well said. Thank you for that. <laughs> you're yeah. welcome. Um, and there are, there are people I have, I, I talked to people who worked w- with my agent um, who enjoyed working with And it worked well for them Mm -hmm. and same for, I have friends who are still publishing books with that publisher and they're enjoying, um, the experience Mm -hmm. and what they have to offer. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's a personal decision about, you know, the vision that you have or, or, um, your specific goals to your career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I, um, went to ACFW pitching my work again, (laughs) Um, and meeting with agents and, um, had a few requests fulls and take a look at it. And ultimately one after the other, well, that makes it sound quick. It was a very slow process. Um, (laughs) I was getting nos. um, and some of them were close, you know, but for whatever reason they
0: decided, um, what were some of the reasons they gave you?
1: Um, I think one of them said that it was similar to something, one of their other clients, Mm -hmm had um so then it would be like a yeah. conflict of interest yeah. right which one do they pitch to a publisher mm-hmm. um yeah and and a lot of them didn't give like a very specific reason um a lot of them were positive you know this is good writing or mm-hmm. i can you know this is very polished um yeah so it it there was the one i think who who talked about but otherwise it was just, I, I don't feel it's the right fit, which is kind of what, you know, we were saying with the <laughs> yeah, decision. True. To, you know, yeah, it like, goes
0: both ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so around that time, as these, I had one um, connection at a publisher and the publisher, that publisher decided to um, consider the manuscript, even though I was unagented. Okay. And I really appreciated that shot yeah. at it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it that was a good shot. And that's another thing for aspiring writers who are pitching their work. Um, you can go to conferences like ACFW, you can pitch directly to editors. They may look at your manuscript, even if you're not agented, right. um, it would need to be completed. It would need to be, you know, to get serious com- consideration. It would obviously have to be polished,
0: right? You um, have to know what you're pitching to them. You have to be you have to be sure of the project that you're asking them to partner with you in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so there are opportunities to go directly to publishers. So for, I did have that connection with one and was able to pitch it um, around that time. I started working for an or- organization called Hope Writers, um, which is how you and I met. Right. Um, and I was figuring out a lot of things for how to run different aspects of, you know, my job responsibilities there. I was in mm-hmm. charge of messaging. Um, so that would be anything from automated messaging um, on Facebook to um, eventually it included emails, but text messages and all these things. And I okay. was figuring out a lot of how to do that sort of thing. Okay. Um, and I was like, you know, if I can figure things out for Hope Writers, <laughs> and I can learn all these different things that I had. I had a background in internet customer service, okay, um, but not in the specific stuff. And so, not um, in the whole
0: online marketing area. Yeah the
1: the direct messaging. Mm-hmm. I you okay. know like learning like what are the laws for sending text messages? Yeah, <laughs> and, and how do we comply with those mm-hmm. and still get the message out? And you know. Try not to be spammy, try to be relational. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was learning all of that for hope writers and the hope writers team is incredibly encouraging and positive, and they very much have a can do mindset. You know, Mm -hmm. like, um, I think on their hiring page, I think they still say like, we're a small, but mighty team and, Mm -hmm. you know, they really have that mindset. And I was like, you know, if I can figure all of this out, I can figure out indie publishing. So by the time <laughs> that last no came through from that publisher, I was kind of waiting to see what they said, because that mm-hmm. would have been a great route to go. Right. Um, and I had always been very intimidated by all the work that goes into indie publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, But when that last no came through, I felt like I was finally in a place with the resources um, where I could, I could tackle this. I could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, So
0: that's how I made the, t- that's a very long answer. <laughs> But I I love that. Thank you for sharing that, though, because I think that it is important for people to see that it is a long process, that there is a lot of rejection as part of it, that there are a lot of business decisions you have to make along the way, that it's not just, okay, I've made this book now, please publish it. And it gets published, you know, there's a lot to it. And I think sometimes we think the hard the hardest part is writing the story and it's it's just one small piece of this like bigger thing that they ha- that we have to undertake in order to get our story into the hands of a reader, and so I think it's helpful to hear stories like yours because it reminds us that there is work that we're going to have to put into it if we want to get it in front of somebody. And I think the point you made about that some of those novels you were you wrote were for you, and you're not going to put that same effort into getting those in front of somebody because they weren't they're not for somebody else but you. But the ones that are for somebody else, you're going to be willing to put the work into it to get it in front of somebody. But sometimes it can be a really discouraging process. So I do appreciate you doing that. Yeah,
1: it can be a long, it can be a long process. And I've learned a little, a little bit, like not everybody necessarily tries the traditional route first. Um, And so the journey looks different. And I'm also learning that some of the things that I learned pursuing traditional publishing and thinking then that that was also the way that indie publishing should work. um, I yeah. have learned like, Hey, there's a different mindset <laughs> with yeah. indie publishing and um, starting to learn those sorts of things too. So that, um, you know, I, I publish books that I am, am proud of and mm-hmm. um, I am happy to, to present them to people. um, But I'm learning too, that there's a, a different way to do it or the indie mindset's a little bit different. So that's
0: something mm-hmm. that I get to learn now too. (laughs) Can you articulate what some of those differences
1: are? So I went to the ACFW conference just a couple months Mm -hmm. ago. So some of this, this is kind of a newer realization for me, but I got to talk with some indies um, who are successful at it and who are just doing things a little bit differently. Um, So coming from the traditional background, I don't think it'll surprise people to hear that um, sometimes indie books – have a little bit of a hurdle to overcome in people's minds, especially if they're from a traditional publishing background. Yep. Um, indie publishing can have this stigma attached to it that like these books are not the same quality as the traditionally published books.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned that because um, our mutual friend Tara, she was, yeah. went to the conference with you, or well, you were at yeah. the same conference. She was super and... helpful
1: to me. By the way, I met her.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be interviewing her too. I'm really excited about that, but she was wearing a, um on her name tag, it, it was something like qualified independent mm-hmm. publisher. And I was like, what does, what does that mean? And she's like, oh, it means I'm like, I sold enough copies that I'm like legit in their eyes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, like that just feels like such a huge, like not slap in the face, but kind of, but it, it's understandable because, you know, it's like this like balance between, a, you know, there are people who just kind of rush through the process, get something up there. And it isn't a polished project, but the, what it takes to create and publish a novel independently, there is like this huge process to it. And if you're doing it well, just the fact that you got it like out there is a like a big accomplishment and it should be celebrated, right? Yeah. And
1: I, it's, the, to get the QIP rating, um, I, I was so happy to talk with her because she had the QIP rating Mm -hmm. Um, because I have a background in traditional publishing because I had a book come out with a small press. Um, So for like some of the bigger contests and things like that, um, in order to enter those, you either need to have a traditionally published book under your belt or you need to be QIP. Right, Um, And that's ACFW, but that's other places too. um, to Mm -hmm. enter the Christie award, you need to have a certain sales track record or a traditionally published book. Um, so I have a lot to learn about how to sell copies of books. (laughs) Um, so I will say that. And one of, um, Tara's biggest takeaways for me was, you know, Kindle Unlimited. And so that is something that I am going to be trying. Um, but I would not be QIP. But I do have, because I have the traditional publishing background, because I have that book, um, I'm able to enter those contests. Um, but indies seem to write faster. Um, they write they shorter. They, oh, that's interesting. Um, that. Well, it's easier to write faster if you're writing shorter. True, <laughs> I think, true. They're, what... they're definitely
0: much more prolific.
1: Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And um, I picked up a copy of Tara's um Carol finalist.
0: Okay, and I I have
1: it, and it's like it is shorter than my books considerably. Like if I ran and g- grabbed it and like held them yeah. both up, you could see the difference. Um, and now I don't know, and it's that not like your her- book is like super
0: long either, right? It's um, it's like a normal, typical, not normal typical length. N- yeah, they're novel. all in
1: the ninety thousands. Um, mm-hmm. which I have, I have an editor friend, um, who works for a traditional publisher. And it does sound as though they kind of in contemporary romance, they actually expect them a little shorter, um, which I was surprised (laughs) about. But I don't think every publisher thinks the same on that.
0: I could see that. that. I could see that they would be each a little bit. I've heard somewhere between 80 to 100 on novels and it really but romance typically skews a little shorter. So that makes sense. My editor friend also says it's it's really easy to cut like ten
1: thousand words. Like when we get a manuscript, <laughs> it's really easy to do that. I was like, yeah. okay, well
0: <laughs> but, she said that this is, it's sweet, sweet in the and the writer in us is like what? we're like,
1: oh, yeah. no. no, no um, you know, every word is important. Yeah. But I I am grateful. I do I do still hire an editor. Um oh, yeah. but I've learned that there are some things that I paid more for because I was thinking, I want this book to look traditionally published mm. like i want it yeah. like if you hold up one and you hold up the other i want mine to hold its ground
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and that was really important to me but um that meant that i ended up paying more for say my cover than yeah maybe some of the successful indies are because they're cutting some costs
0: there um and it's not that their covers are bad they have good covers too um, but so there is like there, that but, but just it's a business decision once again right like it's this, like We have to acknowledge that that that's a business decision as to like, where are we going to put our investment into the product Mm -hmm. and what is the impact on the, you know, the profit that we're gaining from it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for somebody cover might not be as important as maybe something else. And so they have to make a decision for that book.
1: Yeah. It's weighing the cost Mm -hmm. um,
0: more so than the,
1: not, that sounds bad. Um, I I designed my next cover myself, um, yeah. which is something that I see advised never do that.
0: <laughs> I, I did I designed it. <laughs> I designed my cover for the guided journal I published last I think it's been like a year and a half now. So yeah, about a year and a half now. So I mean I designed that cover and I've actually had people say, like, oh, it doesn't look like you know, a, you know, self-published cover. And Perfect. I t- you know, like there's part of me that's like, yeah. <laughs> but then I I get the fact that like if you don't if you don't have that like natural skill set you're going to want to hire somebody else to do it if it's important like if that's something that you value like you're saying for you having that cover look a certain way was important to you mm-hmm. and you felt like you needed to hire somebody to do that and that's an, that's an okay decision
1: mm-hmm. like you
0: are a business owner in this in this world you know as a writer you're also an entrepreneur and you have to make that decision for the product that you're putting out.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's, it's hard to make it back. So while I was yes. talking to Tara, yes, yes. by the way, who is Tara Grace Erickson.
0: Yeah. Um, I know for, we're like, Tara,
1: Tara for anyone. Um, <laughs> and I told Tara how much I spent on my covers. Right. And so she and did I she like, talking, fall out of her chair. She did not fall out of her chair. <laughs> she was very nice about it, but um, she's like, well, and she was telling me what she did for some of her covers. And they're good covers. Yeah. Um, so she's telling me what she did for some of her covers, and you know, she's like, there's a lot of room in between, like, because I had spent a couple hundred dollars on each yeah. of my covers, and she had spent considerably less. And mm-hmm. even just realizing, hey, that was that was possible. And I think with the traditional mindset, it was like, well, you have to spend money and you have to make sure that your product is the same. Um, mm-hmm. whereas with indie publishing there can be differences and you can right. be very successful at that and it's not like one is a good book and one isn't a good book mm-hmm. but i wanted to create a product that looked the same mm-hmm. or that seemed the same and um putting all my focus on that and being willing to spend extra to have something that i felt like looked that way um you almost get this this mindset where you're willing to spend the extra money but as an indie, you have to consider like, what will it take to earn that money back? (laughs) Yeah. And, um, the covers are beautiful and I, you know, your covers, I would trade them. Um, your covers are gorgeous. I know what's possible, you know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that gives me some ideas as I'm looking into designing future covers, you know? Mm -hmm. So if that's what it's going to take, um, to set the tone for, this is what I want an Emily Conrad book to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then that's what I did. But just making decisions where it's like, well, is it possible to do like a labor swap to get something? Mm. You yeah. know, um, is it? Is it? What sorts of free resources are out there? Um, you know, it, just learning to do things a little bit less expensive instead of trying to be like, well, publishers spend all this money. I'm going to do, you right. know, so that it's the same. Um, So it's a little bit different and and a different mindset.
0: Yeah. So what it sounds like is that as an indie publisher, you really need to consider the cost of doing business, like the cost of making the product and really thinking about that bottom line, like what return are you going to get on the investment that you're making into this book? And as a traditionally published author, you're really not considering those things because you're not the one with the burden of production costs and marketing costs, really.
1: Right, because the uh, publisher yeah. takes that on, yeah, they take on um the cost now i I'm happy I did talk with some indie authors, and I'm happy with the way like my editing went, and I did pay for an editor. I paid for a proofreader. I had a team of volunteer proofreaders too, and awesome. I'm pretty sure I, I yeah, typos still make it through.
0: <laughs> they always do i was I worked as an editor for a bit on a scientific journal, and um. It would go through rounds, edits would go through, I want to, four people multiple times and it still would have an error when it would publish. And it was always so annoying. Yeah,
1: I heard another traditional, a traditional author, well-established traditional author talking at ACFW about her foray into indie publishing. And, you know, it was like, well, I paid this much for this and I paid for this and I paid for that. And I'm like thinking, that's exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. and having talked with some successful indies realizing like those are some places where you can cut costs in order to make this a more manageable business so cover
0: is one what are some other areas you can cut cost do you remember i think cover was a really big one for me Um, i can believe it because i think too like we think the cover has to sell the book because we're also thinking like the reality is we're not really in a market anymore where like a book is on a shelf. Pointed out at, you know, what I mean, people, people still go to bookstores, but most of the time they're, you know, browsing online, or they hear about this or that their favorite author and they're going to buy that person's book regardless of what the cover looks like, you know. Yeah, so we, I think sometimes we put a lot of em- emphasis on the cover and what it's going to do for us.
1: Yeah, well, and I do think some people have bought the book. I know some people have bought the books because they like the covers.
0: Oh, um, well, that's good, good I- feedback.
1: I, I know that they did that.
0: I admit it, I totally judge books on their cover.
1: Yeah. Completely, yeah. So 100%. They are, they are important, but it's just uh, like thinking like, I can have a good cover that didn't cost $300. You know, mm. like you can yeah. have a good cover without feeling like you have to spend so much to compensate for the fact that you're an indie.
0: Do you know what I Does exactly. that make sense? Like, Yes, I love what you just said there. That's really, you do not have to, Spend more to compensate for the fact that you are an indie publisher. Yeah. 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 That's really important that, that people hear that. It's very important. Because <laughs> and the insight, it's a
1: hard-earned lesson. It is. <laughs>
0: like, well, thank you for sharing it with us so we don't have to make the same mistakes.
1: <laughs> I think also there are a lot of free resources out there. I can think of a course that I paid, I don't know, maybe $600 for something. And Okay. Yeah. Um, There was a little bit of fear missing out. There was a little bit of this, like, while I'm an indie and I need to make sure I do this well or, Mm. but that's a lot of money to invest and making that back is hard. And there are things like your podcast and many other great podcasts Mm -hmm. that can teach you a lot of the same things um, without, you know, you purchasing a course that costs hundreds of dollars. And are you going to be able to make that back? I think that there are, resources out there for free where Mm -hmm. I could have learned the same things and it wasn't marketing and there are a lot of free marketing resources. Oh my goodness. So Um, many, so so many great ones too. Either way, if you're going to buy a course, you're still going to spend a bunch of time learning all Mm of that. Um, I would suggest spending the time, um, listening to those podcasts and things, um, and doing some research rather than, um, I mean, either way you're spending time True. One way you're spending a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. so. Um, I wish I had taken Valid point. more advantage and been a little less afraid of missing out on like mm-hmm. some secret. You know that I was going to yeah. learn. I think something you said is really important. Like this is a business and this is a product that I'm selling,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and this is what my customers want from me. Not um, this book represents me. <laughs> and yeah. that's a very dangerous mindset yeah. because if you start putting your identity and your worth in the product instead of thinking of it as a product that you're selling to customers and this is what customers expect if you start putting your identity there and being like well this is what people think of me and I don't want them to think whatever about yeah. me. so making, making, decisions.
0: making decisions based off of what will further I want to say the bottom line, right? Like what's going to further your business? How is it going to continue to be profitable? How are you going to continue to serve your customer? Making decisions based off of that rather than what will people think of me if I make X, Y, and Z decisions? Mm -hmm. Like even going back to your cover, your reader might want a really well-designed cover, a cover that looks more traditionally published, right? They might care about that. And if you know that about your reader and you're going to deliver it to her, right, But if she really doesn't care, then why are you wasting the money putting it into the cover if she really doesn't care about the cover? So understanding what she wants will help you make that decision about what level, kind of where Tara was saying, like, there's this here and here, and there's a wide range in between the two (laughs) things,
1: right? And not tying, not trying to prove something to yourself or to people who did go the traditional publishing route or to, you know, like just trying to serve your reader, yeah. you know, does this serve my reader? Do I need to do this to serve my reader? And I do think I love my covers and yeah, mm-hmm. as I'm talking about this, I
0: I'll keep the covers, you know, you know <laughs> what I mean? Um, yeah.
1: I, I can't bring myself to regret that decision. I love no, those covers. I no, do think you that they, them. Yeah. yeah, they
0: sold books. Yeah. Were they more expensive than they needed to be? That could be. Um, and, and that's that. where you get creative, right? Like, and every business owner has to get creative. Like, my husband is in construction project management, and he puts a bid out to multiple contractor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he, he shops around for the best pricing. And that's what you got to do yeah. as a business owner. Like, we get creative with the ways that we get the thing we need to make our product what we want it to be.
1: Yeah. And I mean, now I know how excited I can be about the right cover. And so now... I will keep playing with designs and if I hire yeah. one out in the future, it's that excitement that I'll be looking for again. Cause I know if I feel it, um, I like pretty things then I think exactly. my reader will, <laughs> will feel it too. And exactly. so now I guess it, maybe it helps set the bar. So for that, I'm mm. happy for it, but yeah, I mean, there are different ways to do things and different
0: mindsets. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about being a business owner, being an entrepreneur as a writer, has that been an easy hat to wear for you or does it kill your like creative soul to have to think about business decisions. It does not kill my creative soul. <laughs> um, <laughs> Some friends of mine who are like, I'm a creative. I don't want to think about numbers. <laughs> so Yeah. I don't, I don't
1: mind. I think um, I like a little bit of that. I'm not afraid of a spreadsheet again. And this is, this is part of the mindset that I came into it with. Right. Um, but I put a lot of my focus on just producing the best product I possibly could um, this last year. Um, so my, my first book came out in August of 2021, my first indie book. Mm-hmm. Um, I've put a lot of focus on just producing the best products I could. Um, so you,
0: you put out four books in one year. Well, so almost four, right. The fourth I Remember one?
1: I started writing the series in 2017 and oh, I was writing about right. a book a year.
0: That's right. Okay. So I had
1: most of these written before I published the first
0: one. Okay. And that
1: enabled me to publish them very quickly. Um, So I will be slowing down. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Some indies are able to write that quickly and turn it around and Mm -hmm. put them out. Um, I think what I need to do is um, take some time to learn a little bit more about the marketing side of things and how to sell more books. Um, and that is definitely an area where I have a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> that's just, I'm and yeah, it's just the focus I came into it with and realizing like it was helpful to hear another traditional author talking about indie publishing at the conference though because i was like hey i'm not the only one who has gone into it with this mindset um right. but there's a whole different approach that we can take um that will result in happy readers and right. success in indie publishing and i have a lot to learn on that so i'm excited about that i am planning to slow down a little bit um now that the last one um, october 17th is the last release date for the rhythms of redemption series so once that's out i do have i'm kind of bridging them together which is sort of an another indie thing so i'll have mm-hmm. carryover characters um because readers invest in them and they like they to do. see how they're doing and people keep asking me about tim um <laughs> so this will be about tim i know i'm um, so excited
0: for this one yeah. i'm like yes give us tim's story <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So it'll,
1: it should be, it should be fun. I just have to learn how to write, like I said, about characters who are older than me um, yeah. again <laughs> and, and learn how to do that. Well, but um, yeah, it's just the next thing is, is probably switching my focus a little bit from not that obviously I don't want to lose quality, um, well, yeah, but, no. but um, learning now that I know how to put a book out there um Learning how to do it in a smarter way, um, mm-hmm. in a way that makes more business sense. Um, so that'll be my next, my next project. I'll be looking forward to watching your interviews here, so I can learn
0: more too. <laughs> I'm excited. You had mentioned marketing and learning more about marketing. Have you tried any kind of marketing? Like, not have you tried any kind of marketing? Obviously, you've <laughs> tried said, yeah. something. Like, of course. I'm just wondering if you found something that worked for you. So. One thing I did for Hope Writers that I've now
1: done for myself is, um, if people haven't opened my emails in quite a while, um, I will send them an email and I did this once earlier this year and I'll probably do it once every once in a while. Um, if they haven't opened an email in maybe six months or something being like, Hey, do you want to stay subscribed? If so, here is an exclusive freebie.
0: Oh, that's um, cool. To
1: give them a little bit of an incentive to actually open that email and then if engage, click, yeah. To download, So it's a free short story that I'm not giving out other places. Um, so if they click to download that, then they stay on the list. And if they don't click, then, um, you know, they're just not my ideal reader, which is okay. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. But I was
1: getting up to the point where I was almost about, <clears throat> excuse me, I was almost about to have to Start paying for my email service because um, I had that certain number. <laughs> and you don't of want to pay for dead subscribers, right? Right. If they're not engaged, <laughs> right. then I don't want to pay for them. <laughs> so no,
0: it was time to about clear out things, the email right? list. <laughs> yeah. So
1: I cleared it out, um, and that way you keep the more
0: more engaged subscribers who are actually well, and interested and you bring in up, up work. a really good point, right? Numbers. I know we can get really caught up in platform numbers, email list numbers, social media numbers, and you know sometimes that number can be can make us feel really good. But if those people aren't engaging with us, it's, it's not really doing us any good. It's just a number.
1: Right. Right. So um, as far as getting new email subscribers, I have used book sweeps. I have used other group promotions um, where, you know, you share the promotion with Mm -hmm. your email list and then other people do the same and you can end up with new subscribers that way. Um, I do have a freebie for my subscribers. It's a prequel novella to The Rhythms of Redemption. Um there's a food truck throughout the series and so this is That's about my- the food truck owner and I wrote oh, it after I, I had <laughs> now I wrote it after it. I had written several of the books um but I had pretty much only described that food truck owner, just a very little bit. And I said, he hated drama. So yeah, it was yeah. like, let's come up with this whole storyline where poor Asher who hates drama um, falls for one of the Warren twins, but <laughs> not the one who has declared her feelings for him. So oh, no! suddenly in the middle of this drama storm. Um, And so that was, awesome. that was a lot of fun. And it was a fun way. Then I gave the heroine from book one, some cameos in the story, um, and it was, it was just kind of fun to build a little bit more on that story world. And that's my, that's my freebie
0: now. That's fun. That's really fun. Well, before we wrap up our time together, which I can't believe it's gone by so fast, as good conversations always do. Um, but I wanted to ask you a couple more things. First of all, is there a tool or a resource that you think every fiction writer should have at their disposal? I think it's
1: feedback from people who are farther in the journey. Ooh, and when okay. I was first, when I first came up with that idea, cause I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> I was thinking of like feedback on our manuscripts because mm-hmm. that was important to me. Um, early on, like I got feedback from critique partners and that was very helpful, but after a point, um, I submitted to a contest and then feedback from authors who were a little further down the line, like they came up with stuff that I was like, they are so right. Nobody Mm. else like saw this. Yeah. Um, So, and then eventually I hired an editor to look at, my opening chapters and that helped immensely, I think you get to a point and I still have critique partners and I still appreciate them. And now I also pay for edits. So I think there comes a time when that professional is necessary, but I've also learned a lot from contest judges. And Mm. so I think like you can get to a certain point where, um, the critiques from your peers are still helpful, but there are things that people who are further down the line, can see, um, that you might not be hearing from anyone else. And that can be really valuable. And now that I'm looking at how to become better at indie publishing, Mm -hmm. um, learning feedback from people who are making a business of it, who do have that QIP badge, you know, right? Um, those people have a lot that they can tell me that I'm not just going to stumble across on my own. (laughs) Right so learning that there's always more to learn from the people who are further ahead of me so just really looking for those connections and taking advantage of
0: you know when you can ask questions and and doing that that's really great really appreciate that do you have any other any last bit of advice for somebody who's trying to navigate all the things as a writer yeah
1: just stay stay curious i think mm, every I single writer I mean, and anyone, we all have more that we can learn
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and we have to take it one step at a time. There's only so much we can do at once, but if we stay curious and keep growing, um, you know, we're going to get there. And I believe God has a path for each of us and he's going to lead us on that. Um, Mm -hmm. But staying curious is an important part of that because if it's like, well, I tried it and it didn't work or, (laughs) you know, um, or I did it, and it's it's fine. You know, there's just right. there's just always more that we can grow. Um, and so trying to stay curious and seeing it as staying curious rather than being like, oh, I did this wrong and I did that wrong, like mm, yourself, yeah. up, um, is self defeating too. So just treating it like
0: something you're curious about. Thank you for sharing that today. I really appreciate it. I think it'll be really helpful for aspiring writers who are just beginning this journey, and even those of us who are a little bit further along who. Or maybe in the thick of it and need just to be reminded that staying curious and not beat ourselves up for the moments where maybe things don't go go exactly the way that we had hoped for. Yeah, I do really appreciate that. Well, Emily, can you tell us a little bit about where we can find you, your work, what's coming up for you soon?
1: Sure. Um, Well, I'm trying very hard to keep my website updated. So (laughs) EmilyConradAuthor.com. Um, You can find out all about my Rockstar series, The Rhythms of Redemption there, Um, and my links to like social media and stuff, email sign up,
0: stuff about that
1: freebie. It's all, should all be there. So um, that's probably the best one-stop
0: shop. And you have a book releasing. It might, by the time this episode comes out, it might have, it definitely will have already released, but can you tell us a little bit about it? Like tell us where we can find it, where we can- you I was you. ready bye, for this bye. one it's right here yay <laughs> it, it's a gorgeous yeah. cover they're they're all it's, very beautiful with the
1: sunflowers Yes. And, um I'm seeing my camera it doesn't look like it's doing the colors justice it oh no black and white color cover um <laughs> there are some pretty colors out they there are gorgeous
0: well. it is, I can attest I've seen it and yeah. it's beautiful
1: um, but it's called to believe in you. It is the fourth and final book in the rhythms of redemption. Um, it is dealing with a character who burns some bridges early in the se- in the series. He is an addict, um, but he's a year into recovery when the story starts. And he has a lot, um, a lot of trust to win back, especially because I paired him with, um, an heiress a rule following heiress right oh my goodness um, she's kind of an <laughs> undercover heiress she doesn't talk about it she works for ostrac um she she was mentioned in a couple of the other books her she's the social
0: media manager for them right she's social media manager yeah.
1: and she doesn't really talk about the fact that she inherited some money um from Ooh,
0: okay her
1: grandparents but she was also burned in a past relationship and so she has a very low trust threshold and she's very suspicious of matt And I, I can see where she's coming from. And, um, (laughs) so she just, she has some trouble with that and he's a bit of a daredevil and, um, you know, we just let them work that out (laughs) a little bit. We've got the more reserved, careful character who has kind of made her way in life by being careful. Mm -hmm. And then we've got Matt, um, who has made his share of mistakes as, as we all do, but, um, he's still trying to recover from that. So watching
0: those two work that out was a lot of fun. So it's the last one in the series. Mm -hmm. Are you sad? sad? sad. Well, like that coming to a close? Or do you feel like it's not quite coming to like you're done with these four, but you have this other story. So it's not like.
1: Right. I mean, so Tim gets to bridge the two series. And at one point in the series, there is a character who moves out of the area away from the others. And he also has a background role. Um okay. in the new series. So he's kind of on like he'll be in the background of some of those stories too. So we get like things are still happening in the same world. Okay. You know? They're still they're still out there. Um but at the like same Like your
0: favorite point, characters might come and visit. And
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. I I sometimes think about what these characters' future would look like, but it's like, well, that would be a whole nother book and people mm. would be I, you know, like now they've had their closure and they they've they've told the stories that they need to tell through them yeah um so it it feels like a sense of closure I think more than anything um I've been working with these characters for five years now yeah um so I know they all released very quickly but for me um it's been longer and yeah they're still out there in the world
0: which one's your favorite which out of the four books which one's your favorite
1: that's a tricky question.
0: Oh, come um, on.
1: Book is the I book I me. fell in love with. Okay. You know? Like that's the book that made me want to continue writing. This yeah.
0: Series. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think even as the series was going, I was learning a lot more about writing and, mm. um, it's funny because even now I can think of things like, Oh, I could do this differently. Like in the future, even now that, so I'm going to always be learning, but um, I was able to apply a lot of the things that I learned by the time I got to book four, um, which I just finished writing like early this year. So to me, I was able to apply a lot of things I had learned. And I think that makes book four pretty strong. I've heard you can read it as a standalone, but I also think that if you go into it with some of the background of all the things that these characters have been through together, it kind of lends a little bit more context. That but, um, so I, I like all the lessons that have been applied like that I've yeah. learned by book four. So
0: that's great. Well, thank you once again, Emily, for coming on the podcast today and sharing with us your journey and your words of wisdom. Really appreciate it. You me. We'll meet back here next week to talk more about the business of Christian fiction. Bye.